I want to start off by talking about a story I was reading, and I knew this to some degree, but I guess back in the 1700s, there was a guy by the name of John Montague. And this guy loved to play games. He loved to play cards in particular, and pretty much mostly it was gambling. And, you know, he did other things. He was a politician. He was an aristocrat with the area, lived over in Britain. But when he had free time, he was at the card table. And as the story goes, he was in the midst of a 24-hour gambling spree. I'm thinking he must have had something riding on that one. And he was getting hungry, and he couldn't figure out how to make sure that he stayed in on his winning streak and get something to eat at the same time. So he notified the cook and said, hey, figure this out. I'm hungry, and I'm going to keep playing cards. I don't have a free hand. I have one free hand. I don't have two. So the cook figured it out and said, okay, took some toast and put some meat in between it and brought it out so that he could eat. And size correct. The guy was the fourth (laughs) Earl of Sandwich. And hence the sandwich was born. And of course it was named after him, not the cook, but we won't go there. Uh, (laughs) The point is his invention is still in use today. As a matter of fact, it's one, you know, for meal inventions, it's probably the most popular one in the Western world. And by the way, after church today, yeah, we're having a youth fundraiser with soup and sandwich. See what I did there? Isn't it a blessing? how these young people have not only brought us meals for us to feed into the missions, but they serve us so well. Have you noticed that? Little details, moving forward. They'll come and fill up your drink almost before you need one. They're learning more than just earning money for a missions fundraiser. I can feel those servants' hearts coming out too. I love it. So, as I get started on what I'm talking about today, as you can see, the power of storytelling, if I had just mentioned this guy needed to figure out how to eat with one hand, you might remember it later, and the fact that he was the Earl of an area called Sandwich, and we call it a sandwich, helps it get stuck in our brain, but I don't know about you, I like the visual. I like looking at the story of this guy going, okay, I have other priorities, and I need somebody to fix it for me. And I could, my mind's eye sees it all. I see him sitting at tables. I see what I think things were like back in the 1700s, probably based off of PBS. You know, all of that goes through my head because a story connects things in our minds and in our hearts a little bit differently than just a set of facts might. Now, before I move any further along today, there's gonna be a couple of terms I'm gonna use and I really wanna be clear about this, okay? I will use the term literate, which just means being able to read and write. When I say literate, do not hear smart, okay? But then on the flip side of that, when I say something like functionally illiterate, and I'll explain what that means soon, Don't hear dumb or stupid either. That's not what we're talking about. We're not looking at the difference between people that are stupid and people that are smart because there's simply different ways of learning. There's different ways of accessing information. And that's all we're talking about today. Are we all on the same page? Yes, okay, so we're functionally literate in here. I love it. Okay, so we, but we need to be aware of the people that we come in contact with. Even our own style of approaching things sometimes. We need to be aware, if we are going to be effective in sharing God's story, we, we need to be somewhat aware of how other people think, how other people process. I mean, Jesus did that, didn't he? He taught in parables, he taught in stories. He didn't just hand them something to read when they asked a question. Often they'd ask a question and expect a simple answer and he'd give them a story. And sometimes that story felt like it was completely off topic. What did he do there? (laughs) What did he do there? He was not only making sure that they really would remember and understand what he said, 
but he was also giving them tools that later on when they faced other problems or had other things that they might have questions about, they could apply that in those situations as well. It wasn't a simple question and answer. It was tools for how to find the answer. It was tools for how to apply what you've learned. And honestly, when we look at the church in our world today, if we're not careful, I feel like I've seen this a lot, we're a little elitist where this is concerned. Because how many of you have sat in a service or listened to a sermon where we start talking about evangelizing? And we say, oh, okay, here's the scriptures you need to learn. Here's the Roman road. And I've learned all that. There's no problem with that. I think it's wonderful. But that's the first place we go. Have you memorized these? Have you memorized John 3.16? Have you memorized the Roman road so that people will understand how to get to God? Or maybe I should pass out a whole handful of tracts and have them read it and say, now, figure it out. Now, again, I am not coming down on the written word. I love the written word. I have a hard time figuring out people that don't. And I'm not just talking about the written word as in scripture. I love to read. Half the time, if there's a a choice online, a video or reading an article, I'll read the article. Because I love to do that. That's how I process information, but that's me. Because you see, Learning scriptures and putting information on paper, it's not a bad thing, but it can't be our only tool. It just can't. Because not everyone functions that way. And folks, for those of us that struggle with that, we can always say, well, people should be reading their Bible more. And people should memorize scripture more. And people should read books that will further their knowledge of God in the Bible. I'm not certain that those are true, number one, but even if they were, we're not dealing with shoulds here, folks. We're dealing with what is. The way people process information is what is. So doesn't it make sense that we would adjust? And it is hard to understand that. I like to process facts, I like to process information. Oh gosh, I'm a fountain of useless information half the time. One of the ways that I spend free time is scrolling through news articles. I know, it sounds really boring. But for me, I get a kick out of it. And I know there's several others in here that are the same way. We often, did you see or read that? Yep, did you? But what about those who process differently? You see, storytelling can be a very, very powerful tool in any kind of communication. Because as much as I've laughed at myself today about loving to read, loving to write, having the written text, I love a story. I don't care if you're telling it to me, if I'm watching it on the screen, or if I'm reading it. Sometimes on a screen, sometimes in a book. I don't care how it comes at it, at me. I like a story. And I wanna know how it ends. And there are, when you look at groups and cultures that we come across in our world, but also here in the United States, where literacy is not necessarily a foregone conclusion. It is not definite that someone can read and write at all. Not at all. Then if that's the case, some of the prime um, avenues that we have tried to go down to reach people No wonder sometimes they're not working. You see, here in the United States, we actually have a very high literacy rate. We're fairly fortunate. Now we assume more people do than there are, but still our rate is very high and there's differing percentages on that. But almost all of them agree that it's in the 90s at least, percentile. We're very fortunate, but Think about this, of all the people in the United States who can read and write, approximately 46%, almost half, 
could be classified as functionally illiterate, meaning sure they can read and write, but chances are they're unable to receive, reproduce, or recall the concepts that they read and write. So sure they can do it, but to actually function and utilize it in life, that translation isn't there. These people we will call an oral learner. They're somebody that learns from listening, from watching, from observing. Again, don't hear smart or not smart or dumb or stupid. They learn differently. That's all it is. So if that's the case, think about all the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Probably half or more of those need oral repetition, need to hear things, need to process things differently than just reading a scripture. Because a literate learner, one that, that learns through text, you know, they, they rely on printed material, or nowadays what's on your screen sometimes, to help recall information. I was one of those people when I was little, younger, when I would sit in class and take notes. I would study those notes, and I'd sit down to take a test, and when a question would come up, I could picture that page of notes in my head. It was right here under this spot, and I had one of those click pins that had the different colors, and it was in this color. I, I was pretty cool, you know. And I could kind of picture that area, and I would answer. That's, that's people that, consider, that, that are literate learners. And often it's thoroughly print, but they can be oral learners too, because almost everybody can connect with a story. But oral learners, those people who learn best by hearing and observing, words exist as sounds related to images and events. Think about that. How cool is that? The words are sounds that are linked to images and events. An oral learner will often pass on their values and beliefs and culture and religion through those sounds. And they learn through the narrative, through the things that they hear and say, things that they observe. For instance, I couldn't help but think about this yesterday. I have a very good friend who is a registered nurse and has been for many years, but I knew her not very long after she had received her nursing degree. But I knew her long enough to have been around some coworkers, been around others in her life who had similar career goals, and I knew she was good. And I knew that she probably had a grasp of not just nursing or the science behind nursing, but she had a grasp of people that was better than most. And one day I was thumbing through her bookcase looking for something. We were roommates for a while, and I looked through there. And I noticed several textbooks. You know, they were brand new and had that clear wrapping still on them, the price tags. I thought, told her, I said, did you think you were going to take some classes that you didn't take? She goes, oh, no, I took those classes. <laughs> did you use somebody else's textbook? Nope. I never opened them. Okay, talk to me about this. How in the world did you do that and pass these classes? She said, I went completely off the lectures. She said, I don't, I don't think you know this about me, but I have dyslexia. She said, now, I know and I'll compensate for it, but I'll look at something and if it has two words in it, those words will flip almost every time for me. That's the way it shows up. If it says power washer, she might automatically think washer power, but she'll compensate and go, okay, power washer, and know that that's what it is. But she processes here and through the visual and the emotional connection with that professor or that instructor more than what's in that textbook. And I still can't figure out how in the world she did that because 
typically in a class like that, there's a lot of reading that goes along with that, and they expect you to have done it to be able to process what's being done in class. But not only was she able to do this without ever cracking a textbook, she got high marks and came out probably better than most. And I was amazed by that, oral learning. They talk about how, we'll go over this a little bit later, but they say that oral learners, they're able to remember more quickly and completely than a literate learner will. And I think of her and think, okay, I get it. I'm not that person, so it's hard for me to relate to, but I've seen it in action. And I bet I've seen it in action way more than I would know, because there's a lot of people who have a little sense of, well, I never opened a textbook, so somehow I'm inferior. <laughs> no, she was better than most. So the way we change how we look at things, if we're an oral learner, or if we're a literate learner, either way, there's a set of steps that's interesting. I put together a little bit of a diagram that shows four levels that influence each other in how we view our world and how what we view and what we think influences what everybody else around us sees. For instance, we all have our behavior. We have our actions and what people see from us. The things we do, the things that's very visible. That if somebody says, hey, I know Joe, and they list off a bunch of things, that's behavior. That's something that people see. Now, what shapes behavior, what shapes my behavior are my values. And my values are simply how I decide what's good and bad. We all do it. We've talked about the tree of knowledge and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and everything in the Garden of Eden and how neither side is where you want to spend your time. We still do that, though. What's good and bad? We always make those judgments. And then what shapes my values are my beliefs. My beliefs are how I decide what is true or false. Makes sense, right? How I decide what's true or false makes me think I know what's good and bad, and my behavior shows it. Now, in the inner core there, what shapes my belief is my worldview. And all that means is what I think is or is not real. What my reality is, what my worldview is. If we aren't careful when we're trying to make disciples, when we're trying to reach out to people, we start trying to work from the outside in. We wanna see behavior change immediately. I mean, don't we? We almost want an an, a, a validation of a connection that they've made. We, we want to be able to visibly see it. And if we give correction or instruction to somebody, then that could definitely influence behavior and values, kind of start working their way in those circles a little bit. And if we give knowledge to somebody, it can influence those two areas and probably even get in there on beliefs a little bit. But none of that ever manages to touch the worldview. None of that ever manages to touch the part that knows what is or is not real, that determines that inside of us. And it's like Todd and I were talking about this chart a little bit earlier because I was showing him how I'd put it together and why. And he said, yeah, our perceptions change that worldviews, yeah. The things and the experiences we have in life change that. But that's the point of thinking about it like this. If we can change the worldview, then the worldview shapes the beliefs, which shape the values, which then shapes the behavior. But none of that is immediate. It works its way through. So we, if we need to look at that op opposite, stories change worldview. Connecting with something that somebody said and being able to compare that to an experience in your life can change my reality, can change what I feel is real or not in this world. 
and you can stand back and say real is real no matter what you think it is, all you want. But again, what is? What do I believe at the core of me is real or not? That's what's gonna shape all of those levels in my life. I have heard this term before and I think it works here. We're not looking for behavior modification because that is just one surface to getting to that core, that's it. I don't care how perfect looking somebody can be, how much they never touch a drop of alcohol, never say what's considered a bad word, which depending on the culture you're in, those are all different, so good luck keeping up with that. Person who never says anything bad about anybody, who never gives in to gossip. I don't care how much that person looks that way. What's behind it? What's in that worldview? You ever met somebody who's like that, but there's an insincerity to it and you can't put your finger on why? There's something that's just not resonating quite right? More than likely, their belief system is behavior modification is what gets it done and I am doing everything I can to be this person and behave like this and all their efforts and energy are in just one little area and it never gets down into that core. That's not what we're after. So, you know, you can look at me and go, why do we even need to know this? What are we aiming for? Well, if you'll remember on Christmas Sunday, I talked just a little bit. I kept us for just a minute talking about making disciples. And we went over a few points. And we went over a little scripture. Talked about the Shema lifestyle, hearing and responding to the Holy Spirit. If you missed it, I know we have it on podcast. I know the video believe the video is on uh, our public Facebook page as well. But in that, we barely scratched the surface of what biblically it looks like to actually make disciples. And we've been wanting around here to understand why there might be a change needed. And how we need to look at people and start helping them on their journey to discover God. Not discovering God for them and handing him to them, but helping them on their journey to discover him. And, you know, it kind of makes me think about, there's a, an area in the Bible that talks about Jesus is sitting with his disciples. And they're all gathered around, and he has just finished talking to them about what's to come talking them to them that there's going to be a betrayal, that he's going to die, but he's going to go be with the Father, and that he does have to go. And, of course, gathered around with your friends and having a conversation like that is never easy. And finally, Philip looks at him and says, okay, if what you say happens, just show us the Father and we'll be all right. We'll be fine. And Jesus looked at him and said, wow, I, I've been here all this time. And do you not even know me? I mean, because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because the, the Father's in me and I'm in him. And I don't, say any of this to you out of my own head, but I'm saying it to you from him. And if you can't believe that, at least believe in the works and the things that I've been doing. At least believe in that, you saw it. And if you do believe that, by the way, you can do even greater. You won't be limited by any of this because I am going to the Father you'll be able to do greater works. And what you ask in my name, I'll answer because it'll glorify Father. And 
this love that we've developed being together, it means that you're gonna love me so much that you're gonna wanna keep my commandments. You're gonna wanna do the things that I warned you about. And I, will, I am gonna ask God though, I'm gonna ask Father to send you a helper. And this helper is the spirit of truth and he's going to be with you forever. Forever. And when you see him, you'll know my father, and you'll know that <laughs> he's in me and I'm in him, and he's in you and you're in him, and that every word that you hear came from the father. This helper, he's gonna teach you, and he's going to remind you of the things I've said. He's gonna be in you and around you and I'm gonna leave you peace. You don't have to be fearful. I'm gonna leave you peace. Not the kind that the world tries to give you because they don't have real peace, but I'm gonna leave you our peace. So don't let your heart be troubled. And I go away, but I'm gonna to come to you and if you love me, you'll rejoice because I get to go be with my father. Now, I've told you that this is gonna happen because then when it does, you'll see the truth of it all. And you'll see that I did exactly as father commanded me and that you have that ability too. Can't you just see in that story these men that have such a deep relationship gathered around. And Jesus saying, look guys, it's all right. I'm going, but I'm not going. And so I told you a story, but it's a scripture too. A matter of fact, if you wanna go and read it later, it's John 14, nine through 27. Actually, probably most, most of the beginning part too of John 14. I told you a story, but it's rooted in scripture and it's rooted in truth. And it doesn't mean I can't back that up and say, hey guys, here, there's a substantiation for what I said. There's a reason why I had this story. And most of us can connect to those if I say something like Noah and his ark. If I say things like Daniel and what he went through in the lion's den. And there's certain things that will pinprick for those of us that have been around church for a while and were there as children. Sometimes it almost takes you back to that Sunday school room or back to that story time with mom or dad, back to that story book you might have had that had pictures in it. Gives you that connection. Scripture is just a group of stories. And in the one that I chose there to talk about, it talks about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. Because if we're not careful when we look at storytelling, we think it's so simplistic. It, it doesn't cover enough. And I can tell you the struggle with that. I've sat in Glenn and Chelsea's uh, living room over there more than once since we kind of were exposed to some of what we're talking about with this discipling process and said, but that's not enough. If we just do that, what about this and what about this and they'll never learn this and they'll never see that and what if they take it this way and turn it that way and struggle? And yet, it says right there, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what I've said. And we can rely on him to help us communicate effectively. We can rely on him to speak into the lives of people as they study these scriptures or as they look at things, as they hear the stories and put it to work in their lives. Because from the point go, we're teaching them to hear for themselves. 
We're teaching them to live their lives with an ear open to him. It's not a case of learn all this. Here's the steps. Here's the foundation. Look at this in the scripture. And then sometime down the road, we say, oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit's kind of cool. And you can hear God for yourself, too. You don't have to hear him through me. No, that happens from point one. And as we move through the next few weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit more about how to find people who are ready to start on this path to discovering God. And you're going to hear us say over and over and over again, we're not looking for perfect people. We're not looking for people who are already disciples. We're not looking for people who are saved necessarily and profess to be Christians. We're looking for people who are responding to just an interest in learning more about God. That there's an openness in them that has shifted their worldview. And they're excited to tell people what they're learning. They're excited to turn out, oh, you've got to hear this story I heard this week. And here's what God said to me about it. Here's how I think it fits in my life. We can do what the Holy Spirit asks us to do and trust that he's the one who's going to bring them along. And not worry if they want to share their story with somebody. Oh, man, they're so new. What if they screw it up? So what? The Holy Spirit works for them too, by the way. They could share a story, and the Holy Spirit can talk to the other person just like he did to them. And so we'll be giving some opportunities to sit down and kind of look at maybe doing what we call a discovery group with somebody. And what those stories, there's a planned grouping of stories that kind of lead a person along to learn how things, you know, how to discover God and what it all means and how it began and, and what kind of power and love and grace that we live in. So keep your eye open for those opportunities. We will have them. Right now, we're testing them out on some of our teams and tweaking things a little bit, looking at it, making sure that, you know, at least to get started, we don't have to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, let me give you a new list, that kind of thing. But if you're finding something in you today and says, oh, I'm not sure what she's talking about, but I want to be a part of that, come hit me up. You don't have to wait till the process is done. We can get you started. I bring all that up to say this. We're utilizing our understanding of how to impart scripture and stories to those who are ready to discover. That's all it is. And we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to change our perspective on who is qualified to help somebody. I put that in quotes because we decide, oh, are they qualified? Well, I'll tell you something. One of our teams watched just a segment of a video here a while back. It's a documentary on the DMM movement, which is the disciple-making ministries movement and showed the impact that it's had on India and a few other places. And it will absolutely impact you in that. There's people leading churches that when they kind of list where they came from and what they're a part of, it makes us here in the West go, what? This person, does that say is a prostitute or was a prostitute? That person, does it say that they used to manufacture drugs or they do manufacture drugs? I, I don't understand, wait. Because they're not waiting for that person to be done with that behavior before they start changing their worldview. And that person, knowing that, oh my gosh, there's something here I've never seen before, their worldview, those ripples are still moving through when they pull somebody else in and say, look at this, can you believe what I've discovered? Those circles haven't been penetrated quite yet 
but they're well on their way. And what you end up having is a person who absolutely will lay their life down for God, who on outward appearance might be considered trash by some people. Let's just put it like it is. I don't like that word ever connected to a human being or any living being. But people, from outward look, they don't look like they amount to anything. And God says, you're so backwards in how you're looking at this. Didn't he say, we look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart? Yeah. Again, doing what Jesus did, it's, I know, it's novel. So what we want to do is flip the narrative, you guys. Those of you that were here last week, I had to pause because I know we had to take a snow day, but I think that was two weeks ago. You heard Pastor Glenn talk about the fact that he's getting to a place that he doesn't want people say, oh my goodness, you are so deep in your message. It, I mean, it's not wrong to be deep. Sometimes it's needed. But he wants people to connect with the story. He said, I want to tell the story. And if we do that, or if we don't do that, and I insist on only sharing in the way that I learn, I'm just not going to get much traction. I'm going to, I am going to reach far fewer people in my life than I would be able to otherwise. Now, I'm just gonna quickly move through about nine points here about oral learners. Don't be scared by that, I will go quickly. But it just shows us the way we need to flip that narrative a little bit. And some of you are gonna see yourselves in this. And you're gonna go, man, that's how I process things. That's the way I need people to realize that that that's how they need to communicate with me. Others will go, oh, yeah, I don't do that, no wonder. We need to flip the narrative. Sorry about that. The first point we're gonna talk about is memory, getting somebody to remember something. We, instead of just reading text for memory, It's about hearing and remembering a story. An oral learner will be able to remember more quickly and completely than a literate learner often will through what they hear and what they observe and what they see. And they need and want clarification of what they hear, not an analysis of the story. So for those of us that like to pick things apart and talk about all the little details, uh, that bogs me down. I want clarification of this. I want to see how this works together. And so for number two, for teaching, instead of teaching and lecturing, kind of like I am today, observe and imitate works better. An oral learner will identify with the actions in the story and couple it with their own experience. And as I, as I was working through this and I identified some oral learners in my life, I see that happen now that I think about it. I'll say something, tell a story about something that happened to me, and they'll pop in with a story about something that happened to them, and sometimes I'll think, I don't, how'd they get there from that? But again, moving the story in connects with something that they have experienced, and chances are they're never gonna forget the story you told because of that. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. It gets brought up several years later. So, but they identify the actions in the story with their own experience, and the truths of the story come with identifying things in their life and making those connections. And so, results here just validate the truth in the story for them and changes the worldview. Number three, the way we impart value into something or the way we see value in something 
Repetition of a story is what kind of gives value for an oral learner. It's not a case of, oh, you've heard that before. Oh, stop me if I've said this before. I don't want to bore you. It's over and over and over again, hearing that and maybe getting something different out of it each time. And if there's a point of argument based on something or how that is applied in someone's life, rather than arguing the point, let's say scripturally, how about we repeat that story again? Now what is it about that that applies to what we're talking about? No, no, not that, Let's the story again. What applies? Because the story doesn't change, the story is what the story is. How does that apply? It denotes importance for an oral learner to hear it over and over again. And then trying to get information and facts and all of that good stuff into somebody, those stories are the reservoir of information for someone who's an oral learner. Remember, stories shape worldview. Worldview shapes belief. Belief shapes values. Values shape actions. And Jesus used stories to confront people's worldview all the time. Just go in and look at the, what is it, 46 parables that are in the Bible? Short one I can think of. The one where a guy goes and knocks on a friend's door because he had somebody, it's the middle of the night, he had somebody show up at his house, a friend who had been traveling for a long time and was hungry and they were out of bread, wanted to make him something to eat. So he goes and knocks on the door and the guy doesn't come to the door. He's in bed, his kids are in bed. He's not getting up for that, but he's persistent and he keeps knocking, keeps knocking until finally, (laughs) quite possibly that door opened and a loaf of bread got shoved out to go back to bed. Who knows? But the point is, he was persistent in what he needed. He was persistent in, act, in, in asking and in getting what he needed for his friend. And just in little stories like that, where Jesus wanted people to realize your persistence is sometimes what's gonna get you what you need. You need to be fearless in that at times, even if it makes someone mad. Number five, providing a written text. Now, this may surprise some of you that are literate learners, but for an oral learner, there's a lot of importance in substantiating with written text. And there's a lot of value in written scriptures, even if an oral learner never reads it. There's still value there. And number six, if we're wanting to impart knowledge, Again, it takes place through the experiences that connect with the story. When it comes to making decisions, often oral learners will make them in groups. Because instead of sitting and just working through something on their own, it's easier to discuss, to share stories, to share things, to share moments and memories. And if you start looking and reading through the book of Acts, you'll see that they did that a lot too. It's kind of interesting. It comes up quite commonly. And number eight, when we're placing importance on something, oral learners will focus on the whole story, not just little bits and pieces. If we're not careful, some of us literate people will want to grab a piece and just analyze the heck out of it. They need a whole story. And sometimes they need to hear it chronologically from beginning to end and not try to jump around everywhere or it doesn't make sense. And number nine, when it comes to truth. For oral cultures or people, truth is passed by stories, proverbs, poetry, songs, very rarely written text. And if they do, it's usually to substantiate what we've already talked about. I feel like as a church body, we're coming into a time where there's a wind of creativity gonna be coming through this people. And I don't say that lightly. I know that pastors challenge the worship team more than once saying, I feel like there's songs in you. 
You need to get together and put your heads together and see if there's something that needs to be written. Work together in it. I feel like there's things that sometimes people write in private that maybe God has put his finger on and said, that's for more than just you. I think there's stories of things that have happened in our lives that we need to share because it's going to match up with some experiences for people that help change their worldview. I think there's an approach to scripture to the truths that it holds and how we share that, that a lot of us are gonna find a way to adjust just enough. Not changing what scripture said, but just the way we tell that story. And last week, pastor invited people, if you have questions as we're going through this series, pretty much any series, let us know. Send us a message on Facebook. Send us a message by email on our phones. Some of us that, you know, myself, Glenn, Chelsea, Caleb, Polly, Mike, Melissa, and we'll spread it out further than that probably. But if you have the question, more than likely others do too. And we're gonna be answering those. We're gonna be doing some blogs, we're gonna be doing some different things. And as I was thinking about sharing that today, I went, great, more literate ways to share, you know, if we just blog it. So more than likely you're gonna see a few vlogs coming through there too, meaning video blogs, where one of us might take a question somebody had and just turn our phone on and say, hey guys, it's really stinking cold, but let's answer that question. And spend a minute or two just chatting about it and upload it to the website. Doesn't have to be fancy, but if that's what it takes for more people to be able to catch the wind and understand, then let's do it. That youth group down there that's finalizing getting ready for us, I guarantee they understand how to, how to communicate a story. I guarantee that they understand what works best for them in learning. Let's utilize it. Let's get them involved. How awesome was it, the play that they did, the youth group and the children and, and all of our youth leaders in here that were a part of that? Creativity, guys. Telling a story. The wind of his presence, of his creativity. I feel like he wants us to look at our lives as we go through, and I've been doing this a little bit lately, and it's interesting to do. Anytime I'm trying to communicate with someone, I find myself going, could I have done that better? Did I just impart information, or did I connect it in some way? that I know that person can understand. Is there another way of approaching this? Let's all do that. Let's start sharing our stories. I loved that Sandra shared Bowen's story just a little bit during worship today. And I loved hearing the stories of how he started to come around and how moments after he finally got out of everything, out of the fog of medications and stuff, and they were trying to find ways to keep him busy and keep him from thinking about food while they were waiting for an MRI. And he starts playing memory games with mom and he beats the pants off of her. I mean, his stack of memory cards and her stack of memory cards were very, very different. I love that stuff. I love hearing about the people in life. That's our connection. If you go, if someone that you love or passes away or someone close to you loses someone and you go to a funeral or to a viewing and you're around the family, what's happening most of the time? Stories. Remember when? Oh, he or she used to always. Oh my goodness, wouldn't they love this? 
To this day, I've, I haven't had my mother since 2003. To this day, I'll still sometimes nudge dad and go, she would have had a fit over this, or she would have loved this. And I just remembered a recipe from the, the other day and shared it with some of my family. I was like, I grew up on this. I can't believe I've never made it for you yet. And those stories are how we form connections. Let's not leave people out of it. Let's not leave people out of it. Let's let our Shema lifestyle, as we hear and respond, that that response draws them in. Father, thank you so much for everyone who is sitting here today, everyone who is scattered around for various reasons that are part of our family. Be with us all as we eat together and fellowship together, share stories and make more. And Lord, keep us aware of how you would have done it. Be with us through the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. God.